Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hello, my name is David Hilgen, and today we're going to talk about social inflation. If you're unfamiliar with the term social inflation, then you likely won't be able to guess what it is. But we're going to get to that. We're going to define social inflation, discuss the relatively short history of the phenomenon, and explain how it is impacting the insurance industry and the customers we serve. We're speaking today with John Shane, who is a senior vice president at Zurich North America and head of staff legal, liability, financial lines, and latent and environmental technical claims. John is a more than 30-year insurance industry veteran and has been with Zurich for 29 years in a variety of leadership roles within claims. He earned his bachelor's degree from Marquette University in Milwaukee and a law degree from DePaul University in Chicago. John, welcome to the podcast. David, thanks for having me. I've said before that the phrase social inflation is not the best descriptor for what we're about to discuss. Can you define social inflation for us? Yeah, that's a good one because social inflation is really kind of a catch-all phrase. I think it describes a trend uh, that's been happening over the last several years of increasing loss costs in the liability lines of business or lines of business that where juries decide the value of claims. So I think it's a catch-all phrase for basically our loss costs have been going up very steadily. I can't even recall hearing about social inflation even, say, two years ago. How long has it this been around? And was there something, some aha moment that started it all and prompted defense attorneys to take notice? Yeah, I, I think actually um, not a single aha moment, but really the loss trends have been increasing for about seven years or more in these liability lines of business. And I think the phrase caught on over the last few years um, as we've been trying to piece together, why is this trend happening? I think there, there really are four key factors that I think really make up social inflation and, and why we're seeing these loss trends the way they are. First, I think jury demographics and juror attitudes have been shifting uh, toward more sympathy for claimants. And at the same time, much more distrust of businesses, especially larger businesses, some would say that um, there are more millennials in the jury pool now than there are baby boomers and that that's had an impact. There would be some cynical people who would say jurors today don't have the attention span because they get fed stuff, right? They, they don't have to go out and ser- searching for stuff. They've got their Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and then everything else. And you know what comes to them is what they want to have come to them. And I think it, somebody came up, the social part of social inflation was maybe a bit on the jury demographic. Second, I think there's certainly been a a much more organized and aggressive and competent plaintiff's bar than there used to be before. If you go down south, plaintiff billboards are just inescapable. And they're always bragging about the billions that they've recovered for all of their clients. You know, you just hear that enough. And then if you're sitting in a jury box, you're like, 50 million is not that much. And that's had an impact. Uh, I also think we're seeing the impact of things like litigation funding, um, where private equity money is coming in to financially back 
the plaintiffs in their cases, especially in larger cases. And finally, I think there's been really some political changes um, at, at a state and local level where businesses in the insurance industry could kind of always count on the quote, red states being more open to tort reform and things like that, that were a level playing field and maybe the blue states not as much. But now that doesn't seem to matter as much. There are red states that have done away with tort reform and it's just a more unequal playing field. So I think all those things kind of uh, have come together and it has had carriers and defense firms trying to figure out what's going on. Why are the results deteriorating? CEOs having to explain to shareholders why the prior year development in these liability lines. And I think this, the phrase caught on uh, to mean all that stuff that I've just been talking about. I think other things like, you know, the salaries of sports stars, you know, when you hear about the quarterback's new, you know, eight-year contract is $240 million or CEOs, yeah. you know, how much some of the, the bigger, splashier CEOs made, movie stars, musicians. I mean, so there's a desensitizing nature to the number of zeros attached to, to some of these things. I think you nailed where the social part comes from, really. It's, yeah. it's people. And how people are, people, the jurors are reacting and, and yep. how they're, you know, that's why the, the plaintiff's attorneys are so effective. They, they understand the psychology of the people that are sitting on the jury. So. Yeah, and that's why I think it's hard on the defense side. How do you combat that, right? Yeah. And that's why I think there, eventually, there needs to be some number of billboards out there <laughs> from the business community with the help of the insurance community telling people what what these awards are costing us, uh, all of us. Interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. Maybe the yeah. uh, phrase social inflation sticks after all. Um, yeah, I think it's quicker than what I just said. That's for sure. <laughs> Can you share some examples of uh, court decisions that bear the imprint of social inflation? The big splashy headlines have happened in some of the large mass tort cases. Uh, I'm thinking of a case in St. Louis um, a few years ago where where 22 women alleged ovarian cancer um, from talcum powder. Um, in that case, the jury awarded $550 million in compensatory damages and over $4 billion in punitive damages. Um, so that, that really grabbed a, a, a headline. And there's another case I'm thinking of in San Francisco. Um, it involved uh, a weed killer product. Um, where the jury awarded a single plaintiff $55 million in compensatory damages and $2 billion in punitive damages. So those had definitely made uh, headlines. And one of the tactics that the plaintiff's bar has gotten really good at is to not only tell the story about the individual plaintiff's cases, but to say to the jurors, you have a chance to send this company uh, a message you know, think about if your loved one or a relative or spouse were one of the plaintiffs, what would you do after everything you've heard? And that causes these big headline verdicts to come out and people don't forget them. What tactics are plaintiffs' attorneys using to secure large jury awards and yeah. why are they so successful? Yeah, I mean, I think a few things. I think I think they were quicker than the defense side to, uh, and I hate to say that, but to see that the juror attitudes and demographics were changing. 
And I think they've played on that, right? I think also they came to realize that juries did not have the time or the attention to hear a complicated scientific explanation on why something happened to somebody. Um, And actually, I think there's been a bit of a distrust of science, right? So that plays into it. So they started really simplifying their story. They started using better technology and better graphic and ways of telling the story more effectively. And where the tactics worked, they do a fantastic job on the plaintiff side of sharing their successes with other attorneys. So they're all plugged in. There's a a big network. And when they have success, they share it so that others use that success and employ those tactics in other places. Yeah, that's interesting. Why should businesses and their insurance providers be concerned about all this? Well, the costs are going up and the, the costs are out of control. And for a while, I think the results in these lines of business have certainly not kept up with the pricing. So what happens is the pricing on these liability lines has had to increase. I think as an industry, I, I'm not sure even with all the price increases, if if we've even gotten back to a point where it's uh, back to even. So definitely the cost of insurance is an issue. And I think as well, no company wants to be the subject of those big headlines. And there's reputational impact to companies as well. So I do think there's a lot of reason for concern. It seems like defense attorneys have their back up against the wall against these aggressive and well-funded plaintiffs bar. Is there anything they can do to let the air out of social inflation? There's a lot of things that uh, they're trying to do. And of course, on the insurance side, we're working with them. It's really kind of what I talked about with the plaintiff's story, right? It is uh, the need for the defense to simplify the case as well, to use technology to tell the defense side of the story more effectively. I think also the defense have had to learn to humanize the companies, whether that's humanizing it through a company representative that attends the trial on the defense side, have to show and are starting to show more more empathy with the plaintiff. The defense attorney is going to say this wasn't our fault, but they can still show empathy to the plaintiff for whatever injuries or ills have come from whatever the situation is. And I think the defense is getting better at doing that. What about the businesses facing lawsuits in this environment? What can businesses do to help protect themselves from plaintiffs and jurors who are seeking more than a pound of flesh for perceived misdeeds? Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Um, I think that I think that both uh, businesses and insurers uh, need to work together. It's, it's really not a level playing field in most states as far as tort litigation goes. In a lot of places, due to a variety of factors, things like you know where judges are elected, the plaintiff's bar is um, spending a lot of money on very local county level elections and insurance companies and large businesses aren't going to the 50 states and how many different counties and getting involved in those elections to to nearly the same degree. There's a lot of, you must almost call them strange, uh, rules and statutes in various places where um, the deck is stacked a little bit against the defense side. And so we need to work together to see how we can uh, level the playing field, probably get more publicity on our side of things to really show consumers that everyone has an interest in this because the costs of insurance, the costs of these verdicts eventually get passed on to the consumers. So we're all paying more for things 
because of sort of the system we're in and the impacts of social inflation. Well, John, this is a fascinating topic and an important one, I think. I can see now how social inflation can impact not only the insurance industry and its customers, but future court decisions for years to come. We'd like to end these conversations with what we call the lightning round of questions and emphasis on light, Uh as as these are meant to be lighthearted, which is a good way to end after a a relatively grim topic. Just a handful of questions designed to reveal the true nature of our guests, because we all know we have a life beyond insurance and risk. So John, if you're ready, here goes. Do you have a favorite movie? What is it and why? Um, I'm not a big movie goer, but I would say one of my favorite movies is a movie I saw a couple of years ago called The Darkest Hour. Unfortunately, a pretty grim top as well. But, um, you know, that was sort of Churchill coming to power and faced with war as Europe was falling and British troops were stranded on the French coast and all that kind of stuff. But I thought it was really well done and great historical drama. I'll need to look that one up. Um... We've been working at home for more than a year now. What's the best part of working remotely and the worst part? The best part, I'll let you know when I find it. I'm not a work-at-home person. Obviously, we've all had to figure that out. And I have to say, uh, you know, I'm very lucky. I don't have elderly parents at home or or kids at home. Um, So I've had it very easy. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to when we can and when it's safe right? Getting back to connecting with people. I hear you there. What's your favorite vacation spot and why? I love cruises. I have to say, usually um, not so much, you know, one beach to another island hopping, but I like cruises where it ends up in cities and things like that, where you can explore different places, but you know, you only have to unpack once. So uh, I kind of love those. It's like a floating motel. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. What talent would you like to have? Oof. <laughs> Boy, I will say I'm pretty hopeless around the house. Uh, maybe another reason why I don't like to work remotely. I just can't put anything together. I can't fix anything. And to be fair, I don't, don't really care to, but I just don't, you know, have that skill, I think. I hear you there. I also don't care to fix things around the house, but I have developed some skills. So if you couldn't do your current job, what profession would you choose? I mean, if I weren't doing what I'm doing today, I'd probably be working at like a coverage law firm or maybe doing some consultant work in the legal side of things. Of course, I'd love to say a pro golfer and all that, but that goes back into what talent would you like to have maybe. Finally, which jargon words or phrases do you use the most? That's a hard one. I don't know. I do say at the end of the day, maybe a lot. Okay. I want to thank our guest, John Shane, for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks, Dave. I enjoy being here and and talking about this uh, topic. Thanks for listening to the Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hilgen. Thanks for listening to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at zurichna.com and join us next week.
The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.